I'm taking you back to Isaiah. The past has been so painful for the people of Judah that they can barely stand to speak about it. There was war, the invasion of Babylon, total destruction of everything they had ever held dear. Their fields had been salted so that they would no longer grow crops. Their cities had been burned in an inferno of fire. Possessions had been taken from them or destroyed. Even God's house, the temple in Jerusalem, had been looted and then torn to the ground. And Jerusalem, God's holy city, the city of God's kings, the city of David, had been burned to rubble. The old timers will tell you all about that. But the rest of the suffering they hold deep within their hearts, things too horrible to recount. Things like the screams as babies were snatched from their mother's arms and their little heads dashed against stones by the Babylonian army. The slaughter of young and old alike, their own captivity as prisoners of war, families ripped apart, people not able to locate one another. The prophet we call first Isaiah described the survivors and how they felt, saying they were like a young girl who had been raped by soldiers and left to cry in the dark of night. Why had God allowed all of this to happen? They had wrestled with that question for decades. They had been warned, of course, that their lack of concern for the poor and the injustice in their courts and the worship of false idols, that all of this would somehow someday cause God to be left with no recourse except to turn God's back on them, and there would be a reckoning. But they had ignored the prophets, ignored God's word, and when the Babylonian army came marching into their land, it seemed to them God had stood back. But the suffering was too much, God said. The punishment was too severe. It was not what God had wanted for them. They have paid twice over, God says, twice over anything they could possibly have deserved for their sins. And now God says, enough. The voice of God rings out in the heavenly courtroom, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term and her penalty is paid. And another voice in the courtroom answers, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain shall be made low, and the uneven ground shall be level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Isaiah hears the voice and answers, what shall I cry? All is destruction. There is no hope, no light. And the voice of the messenger replies, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. In the midst of all this devastation, in the midst of their despair and their hope and hopelessness and the certain destruction, Isaiah proclaims the good news, God is coming. God is here, victorious. Your rescue is at hand. See, the Lord comes with might, he says, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. And that is what God did. God brought the people out of exile, out of Babylon, back to the land of Judah, and they rebuilt the temple and the city of Jerusalem, and they worshiped the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in their temple, and they built homes, and they plowed the fields, and they planted crops, and they harvested, and they filled the granaries with grain and the wine vats with wine, and there was once again the sound of laughter in the streets and the voices of children at play. There is suffering in our time, too. Much suffering. All over the globe, there is hunger. There are food lines. There's the suffering of the poor. We know there is injustice in our courts, that people are denied the dignity of reasonable pay and steady work. There is no single invading army, if only. No, but we are at war with drug companies who promote addiction to make a profit, tobacco companies who tell the young that Vaping is safe to make a profit. We're invaded by drug cartels who bring violence into our streets. We've seen the destruction of storm upon storm upon storm and earthquakes and forest fires and floods that come at us as relentlessly as the Babylonian army ever did. Families are torn apart. We haven't been invaded by an enemy nation, but we have been invaded by a virus. In some places, loved ones' bodies have been loaded into refrigerated trucks and dugs have been, uh, graves have been hastily dug. And those who do not have COVID are kept alone and isolated for their own good. And we are shaken. And the peoples of the earth are shaken. And our voices are crying out mercy. But we have hope. We have hope because good news is at the very heart of who God is. Good news is at the heart of what God has always been and what God is calling us to be. Good news 
is coming from the wilderness, from the places of destruction and uncertainty. The voice of good news rings out. It's resounding in the empty places in our lives, from the lips of God to the lips of Isaiah and John the Baptist, and the whole world wants to hear it. Mark says, all of us want to hear it. And all of Jerusalem and all of the people of the countryside see, John says, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make the Lord's path straight. It's about forerunners. It's about those people who go ahead and prepare the way for the things that are to come. Forerunners, Courtney Bugs writes, are often unseen figures and unseen heroes. Their backstories are unknown. They're lost to history oftentimes. The details of their lives are undervalued and underimagined and underrecorded. They get minimal attention because they are the forerunner of those who plow the ground. They destabilize the terrain. They make ready for the change that is to come. They are not the one. They are those who come before the one. Before the Montgomery bus boycott, Bugs points out, there was Rosa Parks. And before there was Rosa Parks, there was a young black teenager named Colette, I'm sorry, Claudette Colvin, Claudette Colvin, who in 1955 refused to give up her seat on a bus to a white person. Having been exposed in school and in story to the actions of Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, she raised her opposition to her own oppression. But before there was Claudette Colvin, there was Private Evans. In 1952, on her way home from her first military assignment, Private Evans refused to move to the back of the bus when she was instructed to. She was arrested and detained in jail for 13 hours. And when she got out, she found an attorney and she filed a lawsuit against the Interstate Commerce Commission and she actually won a victorious judgment in 1955, but they didn't enforce it until 1961. Before there was Rosa Parks or the Montgomery bus boycott, there was Claudette Colvin and there was Private Evans. And before there was Jesus, there was John the Baptist. And before there was John the Baptist, there was Isaiah and Elijah and Jeremiah and Abraham, and Sarah, and Adam, and Eve. Comfort my people, God proclaims. Tell them I am coming. Prepare the way. We might not ever become famous for our actions. We might not get written up in the history books, but we are all forerunners of the next great thing that God is about to do. Our actions and choices build upon what has already been before us and what is yet to come 
like paving stones laid out to form a royal highway for our God. Every act of generosity, no matter how small, every act of kindness and compassion, every time we choose to act contrary to our own prejudices and take a chance on another human being, we lay a stone. We pave the road of God's coming kingdom. Every time we own up to our mistakes and we make right the harm that we have caused, every sincere apology we make, every act of restitution becomes part of that road. Every small change in our attitudes and behaviors, every day that we live into the vision that Jesus had for our lives, we build that road. We may not be named, we may not be famous, but every stone laid leads to the next stone. And over time, mountains are made low, valleys are lifted up, the road from heaven to earth becomes wide and smooth. See, the Lord comes with might, with a ruling arm, Isaiah says. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. We are the sheep of his pasture. He will find us. He will feed us like a shepherd. He has gathered us in his arms and carries us in his bosom, and he will lead us gently home. Amen. say 